What time is it? Let me check my watch. Oh, it's bone o'clock. In olden days, a glimpse of femur was only for morbid dreamers, but you're not alone. Bring anything bones. Two goofy gals with deathly interest go on a skeleton in quest in your headphones. Anything bones. Hello and welcome to Anything Bones. I'm Sophie Schwartz. And I'm Caitlin Hart. And it is raining. Yeah, surprise, surprise. We're in Seattle and it's raining. (laughs) And everybody forgets how to drive in the small amount of time that we had sunshine. They forget how to drive in the rain afterwards. That is true. Also, the streets tend to flood, which happened To me, the street behind my work sometimes becomes a bit of a river that one must wade through. And I saw a jogger kind of beef it into the river a little bit because I work by a big window. Oh, no. So I see everyone who walks by and this jogger in his small athletic shorts uh, did catch the pavement at quite a wrong angle and ended up launching himself into the sewer water of the street. (laughs) And I laughed and I feel bad that about that. That is brutal. I mean, what well, can I say? I mean, what can you do? That just sucks. That's like, uh, there's this viral video. Of, <laughs> I think it took place in Portland, uh, <laughs> of course. And it's this couple uh, talking about the merits of snow jogging. Oh, yes. And they're just like, God, we just love it so much. <laughs> and then they just, she eats absolute shit on the ice like a moment later (laughs) yeah she turns around and runs away and then just beefs it hardcore yeah it's a little bit that vibe that's been the vibe of my day honestly though like (laughs) funny but not yeah I mean funny now but but not at the time Mondays I it's Monday where we've got a raw and randy Monday record for you um (laughs) because we know you like that Monday energy it's a vibe But so I was working and today I decided I was going to wear a really cute outfit for some reason. And that included wearing my like four inch heels that are not like platforms. They're like heels with the heel like cut out like true blue platforms. And I hadn't broken these in yet. These are the boots that I got that have the anklet that also doubles as a necklace. (laughs) Right. Of course. (laughs) Um, The classic shoe adornment that Sophie turned into a necklace. Well, you know, you got to use every part of the shoe. (laughs) I didn't pay an amount of money for those shoes for for not every part of them to be useful. Who said that? Like Steve Madden? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Jeffrey Campbell. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Mr. Nordstrom himself said... Johnny T. Nordstrom once said, <laughs> you got to use every part of the shoe. Also, look at my long cigarette. <laughs> but anyway, the, the case in point is my feet were killing me. I, I like 1030. I start work at eight because I work on my feet all day. And I was like, I look great, but this just isn't worth it. I have blisters on my feet now. I'm sitting in my Uggs, regretting Ugh. every choice I've ever made. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. Sometimes you bring these things upon yourself, but then you talk about it on your podcast and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So do you think we should tell our listeners how our bone retreat ended up? Because we left them all hanging last week. (laughs) Yes, the exciting conclusion to Camp Bones. Um, We, (laughs) what did we do? We recorded something fun that'll be coming up on the website only. Yeah, uh, some exclusive website bonus content. Yes, that's a little more, yeah, that's a little more Ron Randy. It's a little, it's, it's. We'll tell you a little bit more when it's ready, but uh, watch that space as it were. (laughs) (laughs) And we got a late checkout, which was freaking amazing. The Airbnb host 
was like, yeah, I don't have anybody coming in after you. So just text me when you leave. So we left at like a cool three o'clock or something. <laughs> <laughs> Checkout is supposed to be 11. Um, she was cool and with it. She was cool with it. She offered. And we did, in fact, stop at one cemetery on the way back from the mountain. Yes, the decrepit one that we had talked about, the the one that looked the oldest. And boy, was it old. (laughs) Yes, it was We went to this little tiny cemetery called Kendall Cemetery, which was opposite a church that I believe was Catholic. So our best guess is that the cemetery is connected to that church somehow, even though they are across the highway from each other (laughs) and not the same name. Yeah, that's what I was wondering is why the church and the cemetery did not have the same name. But I mean, there was so like on one side of the cemetery, there was like open field with a like crazy decrepit barn in it. And then on the other side of the cemetery was a house where a guy lived and he was burning trash in his backyard and kind of giving us the hairy eyeball. <laughs> and yeah, we, we did a quick tour around his, uh, his next door neighbor, uh, Kendall cemetery and, um, and quickly departed. I'm going to post some pictures yeah. on our Instagram. Cause we did take a lot of pictures. It was a really cool, really cool cemetery. There was a lot of older stuff from the 1800s 1900s early stuff and then the most recent one was from 2020 right that we saw Mm -hmm. anyway so that so it's active people are still getting buried there which is you know interesting it kind of answers the question you know when you live out in the boonies where do you get buried uh one of these beautiful mountain you know valley cemeteries Honestly, like if you are standing in that cemetery and you just look up, all you can see is a ring of mountains. And honestly, what what a gorgeous place to to spend the rest of your soul's livelihood. (laughs) Your your eternity? (laughs) I was going for eternity, but I was like, come on, Sophie, synonyms. My mom always says, don't use the word very. So I always try to like, oh, mix up, uh, mix up how I phrase things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what a good writer does too, is, you know, if you just say very or various or Or I had a really great time. I had an exhilarating time is like, that's more more interesting. (laughs) Even though if you told me you had an exhilarating time, I would be (laughs) like, what's wrong with you? Like, what the fuck did you do? Did you steal a roller coaster? Why exhilarating? I don't like when you're exhilarated. Why? I don't know. Not allowed to be exhilarated. (laughs) I don't like to be exhilarated either. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. We should talk about bones now. (laughs) Probably. This is the show where we talk about bones and bone-related topics. And that's right. This episode one of the things that we're kind of going to talk about is like childhood focuses and fascinations. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go first? I can. I will go first. Okay. If that's okay with you. I'm guessing, spoiler alert, I know what she's going to talk about and I'm guessing you have a good end. (laughs) Yeah, I do have a good end. Okay. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Okay. I think you'll like it. Well, that's all that matters, right? (laughs) I'm the only one listening to this. (laughs) Right now you are. True that. All right. I'm going to send you a picture. Oh my God. We haven't done that in a minute, but as always, we know these pictures are findable on the old Instagram. If I can figure out how to use copy paste, that would be brilliant. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not seeing a picture. Well, why don't you wait? (laughs) Oh, hello. So what are you looking at, Katoon? I'm looking at a big, fat jewel. It is a blue jewel next to a penny. It's way bigger than the penny. And there are diamonds all around it. Yeah, you would be looking at the Hope Diamond. Oh, I did know that, but I wasn't going to say it. 
Yes, we knew what each other was going to be talking about. But I wanted to. And about- I've I've seen this motherfucker in person. Yeah. Damn. Did you at the Smithsonian? Mm-hmm. What was your impression of it? Seeing it in person. Uh, it big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, like it's hard to explain. Next to a penny makes it sound like it might be small but for a diamond like go look at anybody's engagement ring go like find a person who has an engagement ring take a look at that sucker and then look at the hope diamond and that will give you a good idea of just how large this thing is for a diamond yeah yeah it is so big that it would just sink right to the bottom of the ocean like in the movie titanic (laughs) well it didn't Oh, okay, good. uh, I'm glad Kate Winslet didn't leave it in the ocean again. Didn't chuck it into the ocean like a total dipshit. (laughs) Sorry. No, we love Kate Winslet. P.S. I'm watching a great new show that she's in called Mayor of Easttown on HBO. No, her name is Mayor. M-A-R-E. Her name is Mayor. I see what they did there. Yeah. And she, it's so funny how hard they tried to make her ugly and they couldn't do it she's beautiful yeah boohoo kate winslet is gorgeous and they could just toss her in a puddle of mud shave her head and put her in a pair of basketball shorts and she'd be gorgeous (laughs) hey i'd still i'd still hang out with her i get with that um (laughs) okay i'm sorry we're not talking about kate winslet anymore let me say my sources real quick so an uh, article from Wikipedia, article from Forbes, two articles from the Smithsonian.com, another Wikipedia article, and an article from Mental Floss. As a kid, I was obsessed with the Hope Diamond because A, it's beautiful. It's a big ass diamond. Mm-hmm. B, it has so much like legend and lore around it. And that's the reason why we're talking about it. It's not only is the Hope Diamond impressive as an artifact that has a history that dates back almost 400 years is cursed as hell oh my god so we're gonna be talking about me i wonder if it cursed me when i went to the museum as a as a college student well we can talk about the likelihood of that later okay good (laughs) i'm gonna keep that in mind yeah so go ahead and put that on your list of anxieties just drop it down to the bottom there (laughs) under will be eaten by birds one day yeah right under quicksand (laughs) yeah was cursed by hope diamond so the hope diamond as we said is one of the most famous jewels in the world with an almost 400 year history it's also known as le bougeot de roy which is the king's jewel le bleu de france france's blue and the and the Tavernier blue, which is referring to the larger diamond from which it was cut. This diamond is also classified as a 11B diamond. And this is kind of interesting because these diamonds make up 0.1% of all natural diamonds, making them one of the rarest in the world and the most valuable. Oh, yeah. So this, this diamond is both incredibly rare and worth a lot of money. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. If you are in charge of the Hope Diamond, you are rich. <laughs> well, the Smithsonian is in charge of the Hope Diamond. They are rich. They are rich. So this diamond has changed hands numerous times, and we're going to talk about that. But it's made its way from Hyderabad, India, to France, to Britain, to the United States. And it's been on display multiple times. And like we said, it's probably the most famous stone in the world, gemstone in the world. So how does this whole curse business start? And where does the Hope Diamond even come from? So I had a lot of fun researching this because this diamond got a wild (laughs) history. So... (laughs) I don't know any of this. I Obviously, I know what the Hope Diamond is and that it's big and cool, but that's about all I know about it. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I think after this is done, you're going to you're gonna like this diamond even more because I know you're a fancy bitch. So <laughs> there's a lady yes. in here I expect you to relate to. 
So the story of the curse, the story of the diamond starts off with this guy. I'm going to call him Travenier or Travenier. He is called Trav. Call him Trav. Trav. Let's call him Trav. Let's get familiar. Yeah. So it begins with the Trav Blue, which is, like we said, the bigger diamond that the Hope Diamond was cut from. So the curse is that it will bring misfortune and tragedy to anyone who owns it or wears it. Let's remember that. Owns it or wears it. Okay. Okay. So this is where the curse comes from. Jean-Baptiste Trav, as we're calling him, stole the 115.16 carat blue diamond from a Hindu temple. It was supposed to yeah, 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 yeah. White imperialism strikes again. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to take this from the temple. It's mine now because I'm white. Well, and even worse, he took it from a statue of a goddess. Um, it was one of her eyes. Oh, so he was like, duh, duh, I'm going to steal one of the statue's eyes. And, and that's totally fine. It's not. It's not. Okay, it's- continue. Damn it. Okay. So upon discovering that some fucking dipshit came in and stole the eye of one of their statues the priests and the attendants of the temple understandably put a curse on whoever was in possession of the gem got to i'm on their side for this like Mm -hmm. this gem was never supposed to leave this temple so and you know this is all wrapped up in legend we're not 100 sure where he actually got it but we're pretty sure he stole it wherever it came from that's the implication wherever i read about this diamond is that this guy jean trav as we call him did do a steal upon this diamond so this diamond most likely comes from kalor mine in galconda india and it was somewhat triangular in shape and crudely cut and described as beautiful violet so as you'll see, when you look at the Hope Diamond, it's not really violet so much as kind of bluish. So that's might be just kind of a weird translation. Then Traver sold the diamond to King Louis XIV of France in 1668, along with 14 other larger and smaller diamonds. So supposedly Jean-Baptiste Trav came down with a raging fever soon after stealing the diamond. And after he died, his body was ravaged by wolves. Okay, yeah, that that is bad, but what? Well, some accounts also have him living until 84 and not dying without any wolves. Damn it! Wait. You have to take a lot of these for the grain of salt because a lot of these fabrications, a lot of these stories can be fabrications to sell this jewel because one theme you'll kind of see is that this jewel is constantly changing hands. No one Mm. holds on to it for very long because it's difficult to have and it's difficult to sell. And the more- it's cursed. Well, but that makes it more sellable. You'll see people love the fact that the diamond is cursed. So from there in 1673, the stone was recut And it was put into the royal inventories and it is now known as the French blue. And it was set in gold and suspended on a neck ribbon that was worn by the king at some occasions. So what happened to this king? Well, King Louis died of gangrene and all of his legitimate children died in childhood except for one. Oh no. But we also know that this is not atypical of the time. Right, and neither is dying of a fever. Being ravaged by wolves sounds pretty cursy, though. Yeah, that's different. That's that's different. That's apocalyptic. Yeah. So the stone is then, of course, recut and reset again in 1749 
by Louis the 15th. He, uh, he beefs it in a rather normal way. And then the stone passes down to Louis the 16th and him and his wife, Marie Antoinette, uh oh, wear the stone around the court. They have it on a pendant. In 1791, after an attempt by Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette to flee France, the jewels of the French royal treasury were turned over to the government. So I think we all know what happened to Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. We do. They were beheaded by guillotine. So some people could say that that is the curse of the Hope Diamond, but other people might say that King Louis neglected the financial problems in France and flouted his personal wealth in front of starving people. So curse or revolution? Yeah, we we might have needed the revolution. I don't love that they got beheaded, but the revolution maybe needed to happen to get them out of that class system. Yeah, but a kind of un- unfortunate death related to the stone that happened during this time was Marie Louise, and she was a Princess de Lambelle, and she was a member of Marie Antoinette's court and her close confidant and sometimes wearer of the Hope Diamond. Fuck. So during the revolution, she was killed by a mob. She was hit over the head with a hammer, decapitated, disemboweled, and then her head was impaled on a spike and carried to Marie Antoinette's prison window. Ugh, that so, is bad. That's Ugh. pretty horrible. Yuck. And kind of connects back to the wolves, though. Yeah, a mob of wolves. There's several people who die of a... There's a guy who's Turkish later who gets hanged by a mob. Two guys who got hanged Ugh, by a Turkish mob. I hate that. I know. It's the worst. But so during this time, during the revolution, there was a week-long looting of the crown jewels in September of 1792, and the French blue diamond was stolen. Things get a little bit fuzzy in this in these years for the diamond because it's a little hard to track because it's not yet, it's not yet the hope diamond. We haven't even gotten to it being called that. There's a diamond cutter named Wilhelm Falls, who comes into possession of the diamond, and he was killed by his son, Henrik, who stole it and then later, unfortunately, killed himself. Yikes. Yeah. And then supposedly a Russian prince named Kenestowski had lent it to a French actress named Lorenz Ladoux. And he shot her to death on stage. And then he himself was stabbed by revolutionaries. What the fuck? Yeah. Then the stone kind of makes its way over to Turkey and to the Middle East. We have Simon Montanardes, who had once sold it to a Turkish sultan. And then Simon was hurled over a precipice along with his family. Oh my God, what the fuck? Sophie, this diamond is cursed. What did I tell you? It's cursed as hell. I'm not even, like, I'm way not done. That's that's a scary diamond. It is a scary diamond. I wish I hadn't looked it in the eye. Yeah, you came up to that diamond and you looked it in the face. I looked it in the face and I said, you don't scare me because I didn't know the truth. Yeah. So the next time we get a verifiable sighting of the Hope Diamond is in 1812. A deep blue diamond described by John Francion as weighing 177 grains, which was like the documented weight of the Hope Diamond when it went through a London diamond merchant named Daniel Eason. So strong evidence indicates that that is the Hope Diamond. So, sorry, grains or grams? Grains. That's a a diamond of measurement? Okay, sure. (laughs) Four grains equals one carat, if that makes any sense to you. Okay, I believe you. (laughs) So it's rumored that the next place the Hope Diamond goes to is the collection of King George VI of England. 
And then at his death in 1830, supposedly it was sold to consolidate some of the king's debts. So then the first reference to the diamond's next owner is in 1839, and it enters the gem collection of a well-known gem collector named Henry Philip Hope. Oh, okay. Sounds familiar. Yes. The, this is where the Hope Diamond gets its name from. Unfortunately, we do not have any record of where Hope got it or how much he paid for it. <laughs> sure, whatever. So he biffs it in 1839. And then after a lot of fighting, his, it goes to his nephew, Henry Thomas Hope, and then to his grandson, Lord Francis Hope. And his ex-wife is really fun. Um, okay. His ex-wife, the actress May Yo, she made repeated attempts to like capitalize as her identity of the last of the former wife of the last hope to own the Hope Diamond. So she like wanted that to make her famous. And she blamed all of her misfortunes and woes on the diamond. In July of 1902, Months after she and Lord Francis Hope divorced, she told police in Australia that her lover, Putnam Strong, which is the best name ever, Putnam Strong, what? <laughs> uh, Putnam Strong had abandoned her and taken her jewels when, in fact, the couple had actually made up and then married a year later, but then divorced a year later, and then she died destitute at 72. So wait, why? So she was trying to get attention by blaming all of her personal troubles on the Hope Diamond? Yes, she wanted everyone to think that she was cursed by the Hope Diamond. The diamond that killed everybody, but she got a divorce? She got like two or three divorces. Okay, okay. I mean, that sucks. I'm not going to minimize a divorce, but the other people died or they were thrown off a precipice. Yeah, so... I mean, eventually this diamond passes into the possession of a name that might sound familiar to you, which is Perrier Cartier. Oh, Cartier. I've Cartier. never even looked at one. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can smell the richy rich. <laughs> so in 1910, the Hope Diamond was shown to Miss Evelyn Walsh, of Washington, D.C. at Cartier's in Paris, and she did not like the setting. She thought that it was ugly. So they reset it, and they took it to the U.S., where they left it with her for a weekend. And, of course, this strategy totally worked. She was like, gotta have it. But the sale of it wasn't finalized until 1911, and they put the diamond in this big headpiece with a bunch of other diamonds and the price was 180,000 which would be about 5 million dollars today. Whoa. Yeah. That's so, a big headband. It's <laughs> Sorry, a big head it is a big headband. So the American heiress Evelyn Walsh couldn't get enough of jewels. I love this quote of hers, quote, "It is no use to anyone to chide me for loving jewels." I cannot help if I have a passion for them. They make me feel comfortable and even happy. The truth is, when I neglect to wear jewels, astute members of my family call in doctors because it is a sign I am becoming ill. Okay, I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's the bitch who I thought you'd be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, very silly, very stupid rich bitch whatever but I like the vibe and I am also fancy in a different way <laughs> I don't focus on jewels yes yes you're Just more lavish care yeah yeah lavish skincare products and lotions and potions lotions and potions bitch so she was inordinately rich she was like Obviously. stupid rich. Yeah. Her father literally was uh, struck gold. Like he literally made his money from gold mines in America. And in 1908, the age of 22, Evelyn married Ned McLean, which was 
basically the heir to the Washington Post family. So she has gold money and newspaper money. And, and all she, the jewels that she wants. Yeah, and she does not give a shit. But she does actually hear about the curse. And she took it kind of seriously because she took the stone to a church for a blessing. Mm. Um, and she wasn't really sure that she believed in the curse. But remember that actress, May Yo, the ex-wife of Thomas Hope, who was the guy who the diamond is named, the nephew yeah, of the- Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had publicly warned her in a 1911 newspaper article that the stone was cursed and to not buy it. Evelyn, however, enjoyed the curse, enjoyed the stone, thought it was all very novel. She said, quote, ever since that day, I've worn the diamond as a charm. So she's she's not taking it off. Yeah, she's not scared of a curse. Yeah. She also took every opportunity to flaunt the Hope Diamond. She tied the diamond around the neck of her great Dane, Mike. And she also held lavish parties where she would hide the Hope Diamond in the bushes and play her favorite game, Find Hope. That is fucked up. It's fucked. What about the dog is appalling. What if the dog runs off? Like, what, what if, if she the loses, loses the Hope it? Diamond in the bushes? Why... What kind of sick game is that? I mean, you clearly just have to be so rich that it doesn't matter instead of playing hide and seek or, you know, something normal. We've got to find the fucking $5 million diamonds. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have to bring us down a little bit because she too did not escape the curse. Um, Oh my God. Her husband, Mr. Washington Post, ran off with another woman and then later died in a mental institution. Their family paper, the Washington Post, went bankrupt. Her son was killed in a car accident and her daughter died of a drug overdose. Oh my God. She was also forced uh, at one point to pawn the Hope Diamond for (laughs) $37,000. After she paid $180,000 for it? She was in a bind. She was about to lose her house. So she was like really trying to do it. So so she retained. So after pawning it, she's able to get it back. And it does stay in her ownership until her death in 1947. Then her kids sell it to Harry Winston. Harry Winston died. She had a couple remaining kids. Oh, okay. Okay. Harry Winston then is convinced by a geologist to donate the gem to try to start a national gem collection at the National Museum of History. So they, so what Harry Winston does is they sent it through the U.S. mail in a box. Yes, in a box wrapped in brown paper, insured for $1 million, but used postage that cost $2.44 to send the Hope Diamond. Couldn't they have paid a courier? <laughs> like, well, what the fuck? I will tell you about the last victim of the Hope Diamond. Okay. The last supposed victim was James Todd, and he was the mailman who delivered oh, no. the diamond to the Smithsonian. Yes. He apparently oh. had his leg crushed in a truck shortly after and he suffered a head injury in a separate accident and his house burned down oh no so yeah that that thing is cursed so since the hope diamond has been in the smithsonian there have been no curse incidents you're lucky yeah because it's uh, behind a fucking wall of glass nobody can put it on yeah but that's the Hope Diamond. It was much more cursed than I had ever thought. And I, I left some stuff out. Wow. There's a comprehensive Shit. list if you want to go on Wikipedia of everyone who's beefed it due to the Hope Diamond. I bet it's called that exact thing. People who beefed it because of the Hope Diamond. Yeah, that's the name of the Wikipedia article. Just go ahead and Google that. You'll find it. Just go ahead. Better, better yet, go to our website. It'll be in the sources. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There's a good plug. Get those people to our website, please. Um, I know how to plug. 
well, that was cool. I really didn't know all of that, how fucked up the Hope Diamond was. I'm glad that it was just, I thought that it was just pretty. I, you know, it's like all pretty things. It has a dark and fucked up past. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll go. So last week I covered the murder of the Romanoff family, which is a childhood obsession for me was the story of the Romanoffs and particularly Anastasia and the movie Anastasia love that movie. And I thought that I would just continue talking about (laughs) that kind of story. So I'm just going to talk about Rasputin today because, because he's a big part of the story of the Romanoffs. And I really just skipped over that part because I wanted to focus on them I was going to come back to this at some point, but I was just already knee deep in Russia that I decided to just keep going with it and talk about Rasputin today. Yeah. On our vacation, we forgot to tell you, Caitlin just did a hop, skip and a jump over to Russia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we did not go to the mountains or the woods. We went to Russia. We're allowed, actually. So... (laughs) So I had some sources for this. I didn't just make it all up. I listened to this amazing podcast series. Last podcast on the left did a four-part episode, or not episode, four-part series on Rasputin. Each episode is like an hour and a half, so (laughs) you really got to want it. You got to want it really, really a lot um but it was really fascinating and i've never listened to that podcast before last podcast on the left is hilarious i also read an article from all that's interesting.com uh smithsonian magazine hey what's up and an article from the bbc (laughs) um this episode sponsored by the smithsonian apparently yeah apparently (laughs) all right so rasputin was born in the scariest fucking place in the world, Siberia in 1869, (laughs) right? That's a rough time and a rough place. (laughs) You're already, you're already fucked. You're starting at the bottom, Um, really. Yeah, and like, for some reason, I had in my mind that Siberia was like a place where you sent prisoners like to punish them. They did. I think they did that, but I'm also getting it. I'm getting it confused with Australia a little bit, but <laughs> Siberia definitely had a little bit of that. Like, cause it's very cold, harsh winters. It's not really, not a good time, but here's, here we are. Here's Rasputin and born in 1869. He was the only child of all of his siblings to survive. Hmm. And yeah, sad. I know that that was a common thing infant mortality was it was you were pretty lucky to survive childhood in this during these times but I think it's ominous so I'm going to include that detail here (laughs) he apparently also wet the bed hey uh he was he was dirty he was a real dirty guy he just didn't like to bathe he was a real dirty guy (laughs) he was really really gross (laughs) Yeah, we haven't even started. No, no. (laughs) He also, I don't really see this in pictures, but he apparently had these like mesmerizing eyes and he would just like entrance people with his creepy, crazy green eyes and just like lock into you and make you uncomfortable probably. (laughs) I'm Um, Rasputin, look at me, lock in. Yeah. There's a, there's a part in, uh, there's this movie, Baby Mama with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Great movie. Steve Martin is in it too. And Steve Martin has a line in it where he's like, I'm going to reward you with five minutes of uninterrupted eye contact. Yes. And my friend, yeah, that's Rasputin. My friend Amy and I did it once. We did five minutes of uninterrupted eye contact um, just to see if we could do it. (laughs) So. In about 1892, Rasputin, his life changes because he goes and spends some time at a monastery. And religion is a huge part of Rasputin's life 
from this point forward. A lot of people know him as the Mad Monk. He, however, never took holy orders. He like had no official position in the church. So he was like an unregistered <laughs> monk. <laughs> he was just, he just like, yeah, he just kind of made his own way. Um, okay. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I think it's interesting that he didn't really have an official title in the church, but yeah. he had, he ends up getting, getting to high places. What's interesting is that a lot of the people that were in his position or, you know, were in, were religious men, they would give up like their families and their past lives in order to be more in touch with their religion, I guess. But Rasputin actually had a family, like he had a wife and children and he would just like go back and forth a little bit, (laughs) but I don't think he really liked his wife that much or he he definitely didn't care about being faithful to her he did not give a shit about that um so Rasputin's getting more and more in touch with his religion he goes on a lot of pilgrimages some of them he just like walks like there's there was a story in last podcast on the left where he just walked to Greece I think (laughs) like casual I'm yeah from Russia to Greece um (laughs) I don't know again like with the hope diamond and like all shit that happened a long time ago grain of salt with this because who knows exactly there were a lot of different religions in Russia around this time sex was a part of some religion like and they would have these like orgies like religious orgies basically it wasn't explicitly part of Rasputin's religion, but it wasn't not part of Rasputin's religion, if you know (laughs) what I mean. (laughs) Got it? Okay. (laughs) He also, he was a really good predictor of the future. He had a, but really what I think is that he was a good guesser. (laughs) And he also had, I mean, I think he had an ability to read people really well. And he would predict something that, you know, would most likely happen to this person. And he got lucky a bunch of times. Basically, he just keeps going on these pilgrimages. He keeps having sex with everybody that moves. He predicts all these fantastic things that end up coming true. And within about five years, he has risen to prominence in his you know society and his religion and he ends up in St. Petersburg, Russia. Enter the Romanovs. So we're not done with them. The <laughs> Romanovs were already there them. actually. Yeah. The Romanovs were already there. Enter Rasputin. So I didn't know this about Tsarina Alex or what did she she went by Alex so I'm going to call her that. The Tsarina was super interested in the occult and I just wrote nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. Nice. Same. She loved the occult and so did a lot of Europe at that time. People were really interested in spirituality and mysticism and all that stuff. There were these, I think they were either family members or close friends that introduced the Tsar and the Tsarina to Rasputin in 1905. These bitches were known as the Crow Sisters. Hey, that's us. <laughs> stop I literally knew you were gonna say that I knew we were gonna be the crow sisters and I think we should be them for Halloween hey yeah I I love me some uh some historical costuming I think they were a little bit fucked up uh but well, you know, they were friends with Rasputin so yeah probably they were friends with the, <laughs> they were the connection to Rasputin and the Romanov so yeah they, I can't remember their names. I can't remember their names and that's bad because I should know. But after I heard the Crow Sisters, I was like, I don't care what their names are. They're called the Crow Sisters. Yeah, we can look into them more. See what the deal is. Yeah, so Rasputin is introduced to the Tsar and Tsarina. He is introduced to them, I think, over like lunch. And it's supposed to be very like short and casual. But then they end up talking to him for hours because they're just really interested in him. And Mm -hmm. he's got this kind of got his hooks into them at this point. He bides his time, um, just kind of creeping and sexing and (laughs) probably pretending to 
do other things. He's whatever. Cut this out. Um, no. So he's doing his. <laughs> he's doing his thing. He's in Russia. He's in St. Petersburg. He's hanging out with the Romanovs. He's vibing. He bides his time. What? He's vibing. He's vibing in Russia. He's not in Siberia anymore. Although he does go back and forth. He does like send money to his family and he does go back and visit them from time to time. I also just want to point out really quickly, last podcast on the left went into this. Rasputin actually, like there was a lot of anti-Semitism around this time, of course. And Rasputin was not, was like, had Jewish friends. He was not anti-Semitic. He also didn't have a problem with gay people which everybody did so good on you Rasputin (laughs) okay okay I will give Rasputin two points one for the Jews and one for the gays (laughs) yes we like that that's ahead of his time anyway back to hating him well this isn't so bad Rasputin is such an interesting character like I don't know if I love him or I hate him mostly hate he's so creepy there's but he's so interesting like anyway so around 1907, he prays over the Romanov's youngest son, Alexei. And Alexei has hemophilia. And for some reason, the praying works. Oh. Like, a- allegedly, he was having all this pain. With hemophilia, your, your blood doesn't clot. And so internal hemorrhaging is a real big deal. So, and it was very painful, apparently, when that would happen. So he prayed over him and somehow made it better or got lucky. We're not sure. So he kind of keeps doing this. He keeps kind of helping Alexi with his episodes of hemophilia. And that makes him very trustworthy to the Romanovs. The author of a book from 2016 called Rasputin, Faith, Power, and the Twilight of the Romanovs, his name, the author's name is Douglas Smith, observes, quote, Rasputin's assurances calmed the anxious, fretful mother, that's the Tsarina, and filled her with unshakable confidence. And she, in turn, transferred this confidence to her ailing son, literally willing him back to health. In addition to increasing confidence in recovery, a key variable may have been Rasputin's insistence that doctors keep away from Alexei. And (laughs) this is a theory we don't, we, nobody knows how Rasputin did this, but Aspirin was kind of a cure-all at this time for people. Mm. And he said, keep the doctors away from Alexi. And the doctors wanted to give him aspirin, which is a blood thinner, which would have made things worse. So maybe by insisting that doctors stay away from him, he might have actually had some kind of effect on this poor kid's health. We don't know. Yeah, because if they were pumping him full of aspirin, which is like you said, a blood thinner... Like, mm-hmm. he, but they didn't know that they just they thought didn't of it know as that. a cure all. No, no mm-hmm. they didn't know that. But like that would have made those internal hemorrhages probably way worse. Yes, yes. And then here's something that I think is really important that I had never quite grasped. Nobody, none of the Russian people knew that Alexei was sick. Mm. Nobody knew that he had any kind of issues because the Romanov family tried so hard to hide it so that they could appear strong and, you know, in pe- invulnerable. What's the word? Is that a word? Invulnerable? Yeah. 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 They didn't want there to be any doubt because they have four older daughters and then Alexei is the first son. So he's going to take over for his dad. Right. And the Romanovs didn't want anybody to know that the, the heir to the throne was very, very sickly. So the mm. Russians don't understand why Rasputin's always hanging around the Romanovs. What they don't know is that Rasputin is there because he's helping Alexei somehow. We don't know what's going on. He's praying over him and it's actually working, but why? So the people are really, really unhappy because Rasputin already has this reputation for being a fuck boy, basically. Yeah. And then he's hanging around the Tsar and Tsarina who are super, super unpopular in their own right. So you put those two, those three people together and you're basically, Ugh. you're, you look really bad to your people. Yeah, that's not a fun combo. No, I didn't get that. Like, because the monarchy was trying so hard to appear strong. You know, if they had told people, hey, Rasputin's here as a healer for 
the heir to the throne, would things have been different? We don't know. Of course we don't know, but it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. So throughout this time, Rasputin, he's fucking, he's partying, he's drinking. He had a big reputation of being a very heavy drinker. I want to say that last podcast on the left said that like his average was 12 bottles of wine a day, (gasps) but I don't know. I mean, who knows? He was really into wine and probably other stuff too. That's insane. (laughs) So here's... Here's where we, here's where it gets interesting. My note here is he flew too close to the sun and he got burned. Yes. It's time for my favorite part of this. Here we go. So we've got all kinds of shit going on. Only the inner circle of the Romanov family knows why Rasputin is around. Everybody else thinks that he has got to go. They -hmm. think he has way too much influence over the Tsar and Tsarina. And like I talked about in the last episode, at one point, the czar gets this brilliant idea to go to the front during World War I, and he leaves the Tsarina and Rasputin in charge. And guess what? Everybody hates it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I like this quote. This is from one of my sources. Quote, what the public thought they knew about Rasputin had a greater impact than his actual views and activities fueling demands that he be removed from his position of influence by any means necessary. Newspapers were very unkind to Rasputin during this time. Everybody knew that the people wanted to have him killed. It was very obvious. So Rasputin actually kind of should have seen this coming and maybe he did and he didn't care. We're not sure. So anyway, here we go. It's December, the end of December, 1916. And we are at the home of Prince Felix Yusupov and his wife, who is related to the Romanovs. I think her name is Irina, but I could be wrong. Felix is kind of a dud. (laughs) Nicholas's daughter, Olga, worked as a nurse during the war and criticized Felix's refusal to enlist in World War I. And so maybe, maybe not killing Rasputin was like his like grand scheme to make everybody think he was hot shit because he didn't enlist in World War I. So the reason we know so much about Rasputin's murder is because Yusupov wrote a book about it and published it in 1928. I do think we should take what he says with a grain of salt because wouldn't you want to write this book to make yourself seem even better than than you are if you're also trying to make yourself into hot shit that you're not (laughs) yeah yeah if that's your motivation then yes i am not sure of the accuracy but it's a great story so rasputin's daughter maria she's an interesting character later on she tells people that rasputin was warned to avoid socializing but rasputin apparently told them it's too late like so maybe he kind of like I said, maybe predicted he knew what was going on. Murder, yeah. yeah, he also predicted the death of the Romanovs too, which is crazy. I mean, not that so crazy. Yusup- there was a revolution on. I anyway. know, I know. Yusupov invites Rasputin to his place to meet his wife, Irina. I knew I was smart. Irina was actually out of the house at the time, but he had his men like play music and like walk around upstairs to make Rasputin think that there was a party going on. So then, oh, there's a party. My wife's having a party. We have to go to the basement to have our dinner and our, and our sneaky sneak talk. Nothing good ever happens Um, in the basement. Nothing good happens in the basement, particularly for people connected to the Romanovs. Yeah, seriously. So Yusupov gives Rasputin a platter of cakes and a bunch of wine and guess what is in all of that stuff it's cyanide they put a ton of cyanide into the cakes and the wine they are trying to kill him but they're trying to be sneaky about it but remember Rasputin was a big drinker he has the story goes he's drinking a ton he's eating cakes although some people claim that he didn't eat sweets so we're not sure about that but apparently he has a bunch of cyanide like plenty of cyanide to kill multiple people 
And he claims that his head is heavy and there's a burning sensation in his stomach, but he thinks that wine is going to cure it. So more wine is going to make my head and my stomach feel better. Yeah, of course. Whenever Um, I have a headache and I want to throw up more (laughs) wine. Para the dog. So allegedly Yusupov is panicking. He's like, why isn't this guy dying? He goes and gets his buddy's gun and he shoots Rasputin multiple times. And this is a quote from the memoir, quote, this devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart, must have been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. Evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. So he gets poisoned. He gets shot. The guys go upstairs. They think everything's going great. They're like, yes, we did it. What are we going to do, boys? Yusupov is like, "Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm feeling weird about this. I'm going to go downstairs. And allegedly, he goes back down to the basement, shakes Rasputin super, super hard. And then Rasputin wakes up and like overpowers him and runs outside. Oh my God. (laughs) Another quote from the memoir. I then saw both eyes, the green eyes of a viper, staring at me with an expression of diabolical hatred. Yeah, you fucking think? You tried to kill him. You did do a shoot-in poison. So apparently Rasputin is out in the courtyard, and then everybody's freaking out because they're like, what if he goes and tells the Tsarina? We're going to be in so much trouble. But apparently he gets you know, tackled or, and then shot and he gets killed, but they have to be sure. So they wrap him in a carpet and they wrap it in chains and they throw him in the Neva river. Yes. Some people think that all of that didn't kill him and that he actually died of hypothermia. I don't know about this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that all of this happened. I think it's very interesting and I think it's cool, but I don't think that all of these things happened to Rasputin before he dies. The autopsy apparently says, doesn't say anything about poisoning or, you know, drowning or hypothermia. It concluded that he was shot in the head at close range. So it's very possible that Yusupov like turned this into some horror, like, more dramatic story than it was to sell books it's very possible I mean good on him though so I mentioned Maria Uh, Maria is the daughter Rasputin's daughter she flees Russia after the revolution and becomes a lion tamer at a circus that's amazing good for her (laughs) and she is billed as quote the daughter of the famous mad monk whose feats in Russia astonished the world She writes a book as well in 1929, so kind of right after Yusupov publishes his book. She says that everything Yusupov said was untrue. She's the one who says that her dad didn't like sweets. He would have never eaten a plate of cake. So, you know, grain of salt, but Rasputin died. And then shortly thereafter, I, I covered it on the last episode, no need to sugarcoat it, all of the Romanov family was murdered. After the Bolshevik revolution, Yusupov goes into, oh, he's exiled and he goes to Paris and he lives until 80. So he gets away with it, no problem. (laughs) He like murdered Rasputin and nobody gave a shit. I, I mean, they like some people were like, you shouldn't have killed him. We just wanted him like out of power. Rasputin was a really tricky character and a lot of people were confused by him, but also really fascinated by him. And a lot of people were glad he was dead, but not everybody was. So Rasputin apparently said something that shivers me and I kind of alluded to it earlier. Apparently Rasputin said, quote, without me, everything will collapse. And what fucking happened? (laughs) He died and then the Romanovs died the next year. I mean, like you said, he made a lot of interesting predictions. He was a yeah. he was a very controversial figure, but you know, he's fascinating to to read about and hear about. Yeah. One more thing before I let you go. And uh I think I think you know where I'm going with this, Sophie. <laughs> oh my god. How am I going to end this, do you think? <laughs> Are you going to talk about a a 
a certain relic. Rasputin's penis is allegedly on display in the Museum of Erotica in St. Petersburg. Oh my God. Just like most of the things in this story, things about Rasputin, I don't know if this is true because how? (laughs) And apparently it's part of, people have used it for like rituals, like fertility rituals, but And yeah, it's like changed hands a bunch of times. So I didn't really want to get into it because I don't put a lot of stock into it. But um, if anybody goes to St. Petersburg, Russia and visits the Museum of Erotica, hit me up with your opinions on whether or not you saw Rasputin's penis. (laughs) Well, that was amazing. I (laughs) I loved hearing about Rasputin. He's he's a magical, mystical dick-having dude. Yes, he is. Yeah. Well, I wish we were recording in the mountains again, but uh, maybe someday we'll go on vacation again. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. But for now, enjoy this podcast like it's a vacation from normal life. (laughs) Your life. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, we love you. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram and go visit our website. Send us your bone ideas. Anything bones podcast.squarespace.com. All right. I love you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do you want to say it at the same time? Yeah. Three, two, one. Bone, bone voyage. Boy. Why was it so slow? I don't know. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Anything Bones. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Anything Bones Podcast or email us at anythingbonespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Kruger for our spooky music and Stephen Vetteroff at Chubby Scrubby on Twitter for our jazzy vocals. And thank you to Camilla Franklin at Camilla Strader on Instagram for our beautiful bony artwork. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Lotions and potions, bitch.